EcoHealth, your internet radio. Daar is goeiemiddag en welkom hier op Radio EcoHealth. Ons is hier met die road trip show. Uh, Diederik, let's see if your mic is uh, performing. Good afternoon. Yes, it is. Is my mic performing? Now, just performing. Now, now I just need to perform. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got good signal there. Awesome. Okay, let's kick off again with... Uh, where were we last week? We were still in uh, what is still called Northern Kruger or Central, well, not quite Central Kruger, but so it's still considered the northern part of the Kruger Park, sort of there north of the Lataba River. I think we'd come down to Olifant's camp and uh, we'd briefly discussed going down the Timavati Road where we had that little exciting episode of that injured leopard. <laughs> had that leopard with the porcupine quills. Oh, yeah, that's stuck, crazy. stuck, stuck in her face, and she came charging towards the car, causing yeah. complete chaos and panic. And in, in with my family, who were <laughs> yeah. two or three meters away from this charging leopard in Kruger. <clears throat> but uh, like I like I thought, you know, Kruger's going to take a good couple of episodes. I figured we've got this to today and probably next week again, and we can do most of the touristy stuff in Kruger. Then maybe we leave Kruger for a little bit. Uh, do another couple of road trippy kind of things, and then come back to some of the more interesting aspects of Kruger, maybe yeah. a little bit later. I think maybe maybe you guys are getting a little bit um, out Krugered at out the moment. <laughs> I, 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 like I said before, I can spend months in Kruger, um, but uh, I don't know if everybody else feels the same. But we were sort of in Olifants camp last last week, and Olifants being a beautiful camp on top of that little cliff overlooking the Olifants River, and we travelled down the Timbavati Road. And we're now going to be in the area sort of between Olifants and a place called the Chokwani Picnic Site. Chukwani. And for me personally, you can actually feel the different atmospheres in Kruger. When you're far north, when you're doing the Crooks Corner, Pafuri, Shingwezi, Punamaria area, that's almost like really wild and it's really remote. You get that remote feeling. There's not many cars on the road. You yeah. don't get that, that huge touristy kind of feeling. When you get down to Mapani Camp, you start realizing that there's, a, there's that, you know, that you're part of a big infrastructure. Mapani is really the really first big camp that you get to. Lataba yeah. is an enormous camp, but you don't really feel Lataba as a big camp. That kind yes. of makes sense. There's a couple of hundred huts and stuff, but you don't get that feeling because you're on that river. There's a lot of beautiful river river roads that you can drive on. There's a beautiful road that, that actually follows the the Lataba River right all the way up through to the Mingerhout Dam, which is a fantastic afternoon drive to go just get to the Mingerhout Dam, turn around, and you, and you get back to Lataba late afternoon. But then the scenery really starts changing because you're leaving the Mapani Felt behind and you're getting to Olifant's camp, that camp that was built by Total Energy or Total Petrol at that stage, and they sponsored that camp. But once you get south of Olifant's, for me... You can actually feel a change in atmosphere. The bush, the bush has a different character to it because yeah. you're starting to hit a slightly different geology as well. The plant growth has changed. You've left the Mapani stuff behind. You're now getting into mixed bush willow. The acacias are starting. Acacias are one of the indicators of very, very fertile soils. Yes. So as soon as you get the fertile soils, you get the better types of grass. With the better types of grass, you start getting the big herds of grazing animals and stuff. So the entire atmosphere changes and i don't know how to put it you know when it's like when you walk into a place you can feel that the atmosphere is good or bad or this within the kruger park yeah those yeah. different areas just have a different feel, feel to it. it yeah and once you leave olifants 
You've got two ways to cross the Olifants River. That's it. There's only two roads over the Olifants River. Um, the one is the big high-level high tar road, the, 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 H, the H1, uh, I think we're on the H17, I think, by then, down, down that part of the world already. H1, let me, let me just check here. Yeah. Yeah, we're on, we're on the H15. Okay, we haven't quite got to the 7 yet. Remember, we spoke about the H1 <laughs> with the different sections yes. being numbered. Or you can go down to that little camp called Baluli, which we chatted about, which was a very, very rustic camp. <coughs> and I stayed in many, many years ago. And that's a low-level bridge over the Olifants River. That's always a spectacular spot to, to stop there. Occasionally, it's actually closed when the river's too high. Yeah. But that's always a good spot for water birds. But then you really start hitting... To me, what almost becomes a slightly more civilized part of Kruger, you start seeing a little bit more activity, there's more people, there's more cars, which makes a lot of sense, because the southern yeah. side of Kruger is your more accessible part of Kruger for people yes. coming out of Gauteng. So, more accessible, more cars, more people, the camps are bigger, so you get more traffic. Yeah. And unfortunately, busy seasons and stuff, that's sort of the area where you start hitting an occasional traffic jam where there's something exciting on the road and you suddenly start seeing a pileup of 10 or 15 or 20 cars, yeah. which sometimes leads to a bit of road rage in Kruger. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow, okay, cool. Which kind of, it sort of doesn't work, but well, once you're over the, once you're over the, over the, um, the, the Olifants River heading south, You've got, you've got your first split, and the first split is the Timbavati Road. And that has got to be one of the most productive roads in Kruger. Because the Timbavati Road is along, obviously, the Timbavati River. You start getting the jackalberry trees. You start getting the Natal mahogany trees. So it's a whole different um, atmosphere on that river. It's a very bouncy up and down. You start getting quite rocky, rocky areas as well. And you're crossing three or four different eco-zones, so your mix of animals really kicks off there. That's the northernmost spot to see white rhino. White rhino sort of been recorded up to the Olifants River, then they've expanded past yeah. that area. So you're starting to hit big five game kind of, kind of areas as well now. Rhino in the northern part of the park are very, very scarce. You see an occasional black rhino if you're lucky, but the white rhino are certainly not up in that northern part of the park. Yeah. And on that Timbavati Road, you've got a Roerdeval camp, which is another one of these bush camps that you hire out in its entirety. There's yeah. no shop, no supplies. It's just accommodation units. And people tend to use it for celebration parties, corporate think tanks, that kind of stuff. It's very secluded. It's got a beautiful private viewing deck up on stilts um, overlooking the Timbavati River. Yeah. And from Baluli... Heading south as well, you, you, you're going over your, um, it's called the, the Baluli Rolling Plains. It's a, actually an eco zone there. It's a very narrow strip across Kruger. There's only two areas in Kruger with that particular geology and plant growth. But just to the north of it as well is you get a little area called the Mapani Shrub Felt. <laughs> and those areas you're starting now to hit, you're coming out of the sandy soils and you're hitting a more clay soil kind of geology and the clay soils tend to hold more water yeah and they give you these little pans and stuff everywhere yeah so that also is one of the big influences on the game on the game populations coming south of that Rudeval camp your first sort of sightseeing spot is a place called the Piet Grobler dam now the Piet Grobler dam is the largest concrete dam in the park 
And a couple of the dams have been kept in Kruger. You can't get rid of all of them. Yeah, we discussed yeah. that bringing water into previously areas with no water and stuff like that. So it's a whole. Yes. It's a, you can have an hour-long debate on the pros and cons of of that kind of messing around in the ecology. Yeah, but the Piet Krobler was um, a former minister of lands in the government or the cabinet of General J B M Herzog. And as Minister of Lands, he was responsible for piloting the National Parks Bill of 1926. An interesting little aside is that Piet Krobler was actually a great-nephew of President Paul Kruger. Oh, okay. <laughs> so again, one of those funny yeah. little historical tie-ups. You've got Kruger <laughs> who gives his name to the Kruger Park and is credited yeah. with the actual setup of the park. There's one or yeah. two historians, believe it or not, that are disputing that Kruger set it up. Um, they have they have a one or two alternative theories. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I would a, like to see that. Uh, I'd, also, I'd also like to see that. I haven't found too much info on that. Do one. they use fistful books? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Or like the gorillas in the in the Kruger National Park, <laughs> uh, with the road rage and throwing uh, wheel spanners at each other. <laughs> I've never seen a fist fight in Kruger. It's been close. Guys coming up to a lion kill or something, and then they want to chase you away because you've had your five minutes, and now they think it's your their turn. I know yeah. people get stupid, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Pit Krobler there, the Pit Krobler Dam, the little plaque with the with his with his relief of the face face on it there. But it was, and again, it's an interesting one because the bill was approved on the thirty first of May, nineteen twenty six. Now the thirty first of May is one of those dates in South African history which was the Peace of Verenigung was signed on the 31st of May. Republic Day in 1961 was 31st of May. You know, so it's one of those yeah, iconic yeah. dates in history. And funnily enough, the bill was approved by Parliament on the 31st of May as well <laughs> in 1926 for the National Parks Act. And that was done. We touched on it that the Sabi and the, and the Shingwezi game reserves and the corridor of land between them were um, combined into yeah. what was the start of the Kruger Park, and slowly, 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 other bits and pieces got added on and taken off and added on and taken off. Yeah. And the main reason for the National Parks Act was actually to preserve an area to prevent, number one, mining, and number two, farming, in any area that had been proclaimed as a national park. Yeah. And it's very, very strong legislation and I remember in the 1980s, I think at some stage, someone was proposing coal mining in Northern Kruger Park. That got shut down. Oh, yeah. And even more recently, there was a proposal of a gas pipeline to be brought across the middle of Kruger. Ooh. And that also got shut down. And that gas Ooh, pipeline yeah. now runs along the, the, N, the, what's it, the N3, I think it is. No, the N4, the one that goes down to Maputo. And okay. they had to divert it all the way down south of the park and bring it down. Uh, across that road into Nalsbreit and then into Gauteng. <coughs> so it's a very, very strong piece of legislation, and thank goodness they've got that, yeah. that the mining companies and guys can't get into Kruger. You know, they always hide it under national interest or under national security or some super-duper fancy piece of legislation, and then, <laughs> yeah. they, then they sort of tend to get away with it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, sort of they don't care about the, they don't really care too much about the consequences. Yeah. But once you pass that Piet Krobler Dam... Your next spot is a beautiful little bird hide, the Ratlpan bird hide, sponsored by Sassel. Sassel's also starting to get into you know, Sassel sponsors the bird books and the nature conservation stuff. So oh, they actually okay. sponsor the building of a very, very nice little um, 
bird hide on the end of the Petrobler Dam. And again, that's an interesting little spot because here you've got several eco zones or ecosystems that come together exactly at that spot. You've got the thing called the Mapani Felt, the Olifants Rugged Felt, and the Combretum Woodlands all along the Timbavati all coming together around yeah. that area. So that road also sort of winds between these different eco-zones. The vegetation changes, bird life changes, animal populations change. So you get the riverine birds, you get the bushveld birds, you know, you get all of these, all of yeah, these things. At the, and and it's, it's absolutely stunning. Then you get to one of, one of my favorite little picnic sites, the Timbavati picnic site. Again, unfenced, little rondavo thing in the middle with some thatch, a couple of little umbrellas, tables and chairs. You've got the yeah. scottles. For international visitors, Scottle is like a plowshare on a gas stove that you can cook cook your breakfast in, not to mean barbecue. <laughs> There's a little attendant there, so you can do that. And carrying on from, from there, it's a long road. You've got about 30, 35 odd kilometers on the Timbavati Road. You'll eventually intersect the main tar road that comes in from Orpen to Satara. There's one or two other little dirt roads that will lead you back to the main H1 as well. And all of those super productive, super game, game rich areas to travel through. Then on, at the open has got an interesting little piece of history there. Because you've got the gate, you've got open camp. And you've then also got a little way down the road, a little place called the Rabelais Hut. Rabelais. The Rabelais Hut. Now the Rabelais Hut was the original entrance to Kruger. So it's on the on the main it's on the old open road. It's a little bit you've got to go off the off the tar road now and go to go and see the Rabelais hut. It's a it's a it's a it's a tiny little white hut, but that used to be the entrance to Kruger. And Open Gate was built in 1954 when Mrs. Eileen Open donated seven of her farms to the Kruger Park. So oh. the distance between the Rabelais hut and the new Open Gate yes. is actually what used to be Eileen Open's old farms. Oh, wow. That's and, and her donation was 24,500 hectares. Wow. Okay, so now that's, she had a lot of land. That was a lot of land. That was seven farms, 24,500 hectares donated to the park. Um, so, I mean, that's, that was a massive input into the park. And her name, obviously, now is um, given to the camp at Orpen. Orpen is a yeah. fantastic little camp, beautifully quiet at night. And what's nice about Orpen Camp is you're on the border of the park, but yet you've got all those private reserves still operating operating out to the, the to the to the west to the west of that. So when you at Orpen, you're at the camp, you're at the Kruger fence line. But at night, there's no traffic. You've got thousands, yeah. tens of thousands of hectares of, of land to the to the west that is also national or not uh, private game reserve. Yes. So, and a lot of the fences are coming down now between private game reserves and Kruger. And Orpen is one of those little camps. I think there's probably seven, seven or ten accommodation units as well. So it's beautifully quiet at night. There's no restaurants. There are no cars running around. It's got a beautiful floodlit waterhole. Right outside the outside of the camp fence line. So if you're on one of the huts down by the end, sort of, the, yeah, you actually sit on your veranda. You got the waterhole right in front of you, with the spotlights on it. Nice. And that's open is one of those funny areas. It's it's when you drive into open, you on what's called um, the Marula Knobthorn Open Tree Savannah. That's a hell of a long line, but that's exactly what it is. It's a lot of open grassland with big trees on it. 
So that attracts all sorts of browsers. It attracts a lot of the grazers. You've got cheetah, lion, leopard there. It's one of the one of the nice places to see cheetah. Cheetah, you know, the the, the way that they hunt their prey. Yeah. Quick, 120 kilometers an hour. You can't do that in thick bush. You know, you're going <laughs> yeah. to have an accident. Yeah. So you need to have open <laughs> space where you can actually do some decent <clears throat> running. So that's <laughs> one of the best places to see cheetah. Makes me think of ways. <laughs> in so many yeah. meters, there's an obstacle in the road. <laughs> <laughs> And again, there, elephant, rhino, buffalo, lion, leopard, all congregate around that, that area. Yeah. Some of the little lesser-known little spots up near the Orpen camp is what's called the Tamburti Tented Camp. Oh. Now, when you say tented camp, yeah. it's not a little bell tent. You've got two versions of tents. You've got the luxury tents. You've got the normal tents. Yeah, yeah. But the luxury tents, again, are built on a wooden platform. Okay, You've not got, concrete, wooden. It's a wooden, okay. wooden platform like on stilts. You've got a full-on kitchen outside on a little veranda. You've got a braai area that swings out like a little rotating braai. Nice. But yeah. one, in the tent, you've got a, one main room with a big double bed or two single beds. Yeah. You've got a full-on bathroom. You've got a little cupboard. You've got hot and cold running water. Okay. And the most beautiful thing at night, I know there's a special attraction to lying in a tent. And if the wind starts blowing, you know, the side of the tent gently flaps. Yeah. And again, one of those spots that's fantastic. And you ride on the river. I've sat yes. in one of those, on those tents before and you're watching lion in the riverbed in front of you while you're sitting on your veranda having a cold beer late afternoon. You don't even bother yeah. going out for a drive. But the stuff just comes right in front of you. Yes. And just down awesome. the road, you've got the Marula campsite. Again, one, it's, it's much like that other campsite we, we, we chat about, the Tsenzi Rustic Camp, and the Marula campsite is also, it's only caters for guests with caravans and, and tents. Yes. Further than that, and it's exceptionally popular. Okay. And the nice thing about, about um, Orpen, Tambuti, and Marula is you've got the Timavati Road right there. You can also head down south. You've got some beautiful roads there heading down towards Talamati, and also, again, down towards Chokwan, there's a whole network of little dirt roads down that side of the park. And, again, super, super game-rich yeah, yeah. type of area. But well, all of those little bush camps, you've got to keep your planning a little bit clever because you've got no shop, you've got no fuel. So you've got to find out where you can stock up. When you get to one of the main camps, yeah. you, re you refuel, you stock up on, on the necessities. I don't think you want to stop in the middle somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of the headquarters almost of that central region is Satara Camp now Satara is an exceptionally busy camp and I added it up a little bit earlier it's got 155 separate accommodation units so if you look at that I mean 155 Yo, if you compare that to a hotel a hotel with 155 rooms is a sizable hotel yeah and and in addition to that, it's got 100 campsites. Well, so you can imagine that in busy season, if the camp is full, it's a very, very busy camp. Geez, yeah. <laughs> it's situated in probably one of the best game viewing areas in Kruger. But it's one of those weird camps that has got almost no character. Oh, It's at okay. an intersection and it's flat. Yeah. So there's no views, there's nothing. It's just a, a camp that is flat, but it's in, it's in a ge geological area 
that's called the Marula Knobthorn Open Tree Savannah. So much like Open Gate, from Open yeah. you go across some thorn thickets before you get to Satara. Thorn thickets again are always a very, very rich in animals because it's acacia and it's a very, very nutritious type of, of um, vegetation that grows there. So that whole Open to Satara Road, the Tar Road, is an exceptionally good road um, if you, for, for wildlife and for game, game viewing. But Satara is one of these camps, it's flat, it's nothing. Even in the restaurant, the only thing you've got to look at is a little cheetah statue and a little water fountain where normally a lot of birds come and drink. But there's no view. It's not like a Latabo or a Shinguezi or an Olifant. So any other, all of yeah. those other camps have got a view site or they've got something pretty special. This yeah. one is plonked down in the middle of nothing. <laughs> and the accommodation is just big circles. You've got like, I don't know, pro- probably 15 or 20 huts in a circle and they all look at each other. You've got circle A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I think it goes up to G circle. Okay. If you are lucky, there are a couple of perimeter bungalows. And perimeter bungalow in any of the rest camps is a, a real privilege because you, then you're on the fence line. Yeah. And that's always slightly different because now you're looking out into the bush instead of staring at your next-door neighbor. <laughs> and those, again, are the ones that, that, that get booked out very, very quickly. High in, the bo- in demand. <laughs> it's also got some beautiful guest houses. I've had the privilege of staying in what they call a guest house. Now, the guest houses was again one of these concepts in Kruger where national parks got sponsors in to build almost like a fancy mini lodge. Yeah. In, in mo- and most of the camps have got them. Okay. And you've got, most of them are like four bedrooms. So you can sleep eight people. Maybe on a sleeper couch it goes up to about 12 but the guest house is fully self-contained. It's a little private area in the camp. No one else is allowed into your guest house area. Yeah. So you've got, a, you've got the bedroom. Then you have an entire area for yourself. You've got a sitting room and a dining room and an upstairs and a viewing deck. And, and, it's, and it's just for you and your little group of people. Yeah, yeah. And I've stayed in, in, in the ones in, um, in Satara, and they are stunning. They're right on the fence line. And there's a little water hole right outside, the f- just on the other side of the fence. Yeah, yeah. And you sit on your veranda and you've got elephants that come down to drink. You got, I had a herd of buffaloes coming down to drink. At night, the hyenas come in nice. right onto the, water, onto the water hole. With a lion coming just on the other side of the fence line. And those are the real gems in Kruger. So although there's not, a, although there's not super-duper views and stuff, Satara does have its attraction. Because it's in such a huge game-rich area. And Satara, you can drive north, south, east, west. you in that open woodland area. So yes. there's huge amounts of game there. <clears throat> and you've got one fantastic drive, which is let's say, probably 60, 60 kilometers or so. When you leave Satara, you go down south. Then you head out to the um, Nwanetsi picnic site that's a beautiful tar road drive the night drive vehicles from satara normally take that road they're again on the night drives there we've seen lion we've seen janet we've seen civet you see bush babies yeah all sorts of stuff on that road the drive to nwanetsi is beautiful nwanetsi picnic site and you can walk up the side of a little hill a little copy fantastic little view viewpoint that they've built there overlooking a little dam you again you're very close to the border border with with mozambique there and depending on which way you want to go, you can head north on dirt and then turn down um, the S100 
back to Sitara or you just turn around and go back on the tar to Sitara. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Sitara to Nwanetsi is right up probably about 24, 25 kilometers. Yeah. So, you know, in the late afternoon, two and a half, three hours max, you've got a fantastic drive through some of the most beautiful game-rich areas. Yeah. But I hear Kruger. it can get quite hot uh, up there, eh? <laughs> Especially when you're close to um, Mozambique. When you... Summertime, I've hit days in the low 40s in Kruger. Okay, low 40s. <laughs> low 40s. Low 40s. <laughs> you hit okay. a 42 or so, 43. <laughs> Not quite as bad as Kalahari. I've hit days of my car temperature, and that was even just driving. So you're getting the wind flow over the thermometer. Yeah. I had a day once in December of, I think, 52. Ooh. Wow. So I think that was possibly the car cooking a little bit in the sun, and of course we hit that day. It was it was it was in, in yeah that was in Kalahari, and we've also hit that once in the Trans Frontier Park, um, at a place called Fish Eagle Camp in the Trans Frontier Park. Yeah. When you go through the Giriondo border, the first accommodation that you get to in the Trans Frontier Park is called Fish Eagle Camp. Fish Again, beautiful little huts overlooking <coughs> the the Masingir Dam. If you decided to stay in the one time again, as zero facilities and stuff, so you got to have everything with you. Yeah. But we hit that that we hit that camp on the day there was no water. Oh. So that was a bit of a disaster. So we <laughs> that, that, that was one of the one of the days that you actually want to kind of not remember too much. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't go stand under a shower or anything. It was, it was and it was just super crazy hot. Yeah. We're about halfway. Do you want to go listen to some music quickly? Yeah, take let's a see. sip of water. Let's have a look what you got for us. Okay, let's go listen to some music, and we'll be right back uh, with a road trip show here with Diedrich on Radio Eco Health. Here we go. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. And we are back. We are back on the road trip show. Diedrich, there's a question I've been burning to ask you. Ah. Have you ever had like... <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a very reserved ah. <laughs> have you ever had a breakdown in the Kruger? I have. Um, the, 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 the car make will remain... Anonymous. <laughs> it was a four-wheel drive of a w- very well-known brand. Okay. And I had two two guests with me driving down the road. We pick up some lions on the main road. So I, I put it into in. I put the car into low range because in low range you can idle and it just gently putters along in low yeah, range. Yeah. Right. End of sighting. I try to get the car out of low range. It doesn't want to get out of low range anymore. Oh dear! <laughs> and I'm—I um, don't know how far away from from whatever camp I was in. I think we were staying in Lataba at that stage. Must have been Lataba. Anyway, we get back into Lataba. I arrange for the guest to go on one of the open vehicles that evening as a night drive. So I'm going to now head off and go and get car fixed. Yeah. So out of Lataba, I now drive all the way into Palabora, 50-kilometer drive in low range. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> get into Lataba. And I found a guy who could fix it for me. He had to strip out the entire center console. 
he had to strip out all the gearbox coverings on the top of the car to get into the top of the gear levers. Oh. And it was a 17-cent washer. Oh. The spare part cost me 17 cents. <laughs> <laughs> a stupid, like, little circlip thing he had undone, and the selector rods now wouldn't, wouldn't engage because the, the, the gear lever wasn't connected now to these, yeah. to these little selectors. It cost oh. me like a thousand rand in labor and 17 cents for the part. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of breakdown services in Kruger. Latava's got one. Sitara's got one. Kakuza's got one. The AA is pretty active in Kruger. So your best thing to do is if you do have a breakdown, sit down, relax, chill, look at the birds. A car will come past somewhere. Flag them <laughs> yeah. down and let them warn the rangers in the next camp or the next picnic site or something, yeah. they'll radio each other and someone will come and rescue you. <laughs> they do have breakdown services. Okay, awesome. <laughs> there you've got it. There is breakdown services. <laughs> Just don't get onto the back of a big uh, elephant or something. Yeah. But now, we, you know, we done, we sort of at Nwanetsi, Nwanetsi up that round, back to Satara, you're covering a whole lot of those beautiful eco zones as well. And though that area is just so, so rich in wildlife. It's, in, it's absolutely incredible. As you know, if you go down, if you, if we now head back a little bit further down to the western side of the park and you've come off the Timbavati Road, you've intersected the S100. Um, I think it's, is it the S100? I think it's the S100. H7, uh, I don't know, the main toll road from Auckland to Satara. And you can carry on straight, and you can carry on now further down south on dirt. You've got a few beautiful little picnic sites down there. You've got the one Netsi picnic site. You've got the Sweeney bird hide. Those bird hides are absolutely stunning. There's okay. a little you park. Yeah. You've got a little walkway down to the bird. The bird hides are always on some water. And for photographers and stuff, it's absolute paradise. Just sit there quietly with a little lunchbox and something. One of the nicer camps, one of the nicer bush camps, a little spot called Talamati. Now, Talamati in uh, Tsonga means lots of water. Okay. Which is a bit strange because it's in a very, very dry area. But <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but out, outside Talamati, again, you've got a, it's on, it's on clay soil. So you've got right outside Talamati, you've got like a seep with reeds and it's like a natural pan. Yeah. In front of Talamati. And you've got a little hide on, again, up on some stilts, a couple of little stairs, stairs that go up, and you can sit in this hide. Talamati also, has, I think there's probably 15 or 18 accommodation units, varying from two bed, four bed, and six bed units. No shop, no nothing else. Yes. One of the beautifully quiet camps. I normally try and get in there if I've got guests with me. And we actually, I actually had a Canadian young lady who actually saw the big five in one night from that hide. She, oh, she wow. made it okay. her mission. She didn't go to sleep that night. She was in that <laughs> hide the entire night, and she came back the next morning, and she'd seen the big five, and I think the two leopards on separate occasions came through to that waterhole wow. outside Talamati. So she was so, so impressed with that whole thing. And again, that area, herds and herds of grazers. That's where you're going to see your big herds of impala, your big herds of villabia, zebra. And, of course, yeah. because of that, you've got the predators. So you've got the, the lion population. Is, it starts becoming very, very dense down that area. Yeah. You've got a couple of fantastic little picnic sites <coughs> down there. Muzanzeni picnic site and Shanguleni picnic site. 
just off that side, if you if you go back down to the main road, the main tar road, the H1, you know, at the H13, you've got the site of, the, of a baobab tree. And that okay. apparently is the most southernmost baobab tree in Kruger. <coughs> and I, again, once we, on one, one of my trips through Kruger, I had some Australians with me. And we actually picked up a leopard cub in that baobab tree. Oh, my wow. mummy had put a little baby, a little cub in the, in the branches there. It's a yeah. huge tree. The, the circumference of that tree has got to be 12, 15 meters around. Yeah. And as a rule of yeah. thumb, they say, no, I don't think anyone's managed to prove it, but they say every meter of circumference gives you about 100 years worth of growth. Oh. So that tree's okay. a good 15, 1800 years old, 2000 years old, just at a place called the Kumana Dam. Yeah. Wow. There's one other baobab tree that we didn't really mention that's just up north of Olifant, a place called Von Willigs Baobab. Von Willig, for those people in Johannesburg, they'll know there's a Von Willig Street. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Von Willig Street in Joburg? Von Willig was a land surveyor. He was responsible for putting out a lot of the grid in Johannesburg, actually laying out the streets of Johannesburg. Oh. And he was also wow. responsible for laying out the borderline between, at that stage, Portuguese East Africa and the South African Republic. So the oh. borderline between Mozambique and South Africa was also laid out by Mr. Von Willig. And he's actually got a tree just north of, north of Olifants on the very close to the river line yes. where he actually carved his name in the tree. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <laughs> then what I always consider almost the, the break line between center and south because the southern side of the park for me is always the busy side of the park. Yeah. But you get to the, the main picnic site called Chokwan. Now, Chokwan apparently was a medicine guy or a shaman or a muti man. That's where the name apparently comes from. Okay. And it's halfway sort of between two of the biggest camps in Kruger, Skakuza, and Satara. So it's a very convenient halfway stop. It's also used often by... Tourists coming in from the southern southern side of the park who stay outside the park. They will come in at Paul Kruger Gate or Numbi or um, one of those gates down there. They come through Skukuza. They head up to Chokwan. Chokwan is like coffee tea time, late morning stop. Okay. Then you take the taro down to Lower Sabi. Lower Sabi is lunchtime. They've got a beautiful deck uh, overlooking the Sabi River. Late afternoon is the drive from Lower Sabi back to Skukuza. The, the tour guides and the guys doing the open vehicle safaris call that Elof Street. Because it gets so busy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Reference to Elo Street in Johannesburg. But uh, again, guys, it's, it's busy and the roads are there and the infrastructure is there because it's in the big game areas. It's in the heavily populated, most densely populated game areas. That's yeah. why it is so busy. But Chokwan, slightly different picnic site. The other picnic sites is just a little bit of infrastructure where you sit down at tables and chairs. Chokwan actually has a very, very good little restaurant there as well. So you can actually okay. order some takeaways and you know, I normally do the, the traditional thing, like a pup and vors or something. Oh, pup and vors with a bit of shishebo always goes down pretty well. I've got a little braai going over there. For those international visitors, the braai, we braai. You guys barbecue, we braai. Yeah. Okay. Same <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, it's not the same thing. No, 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 no. No, there's no nation on this <laughs> earth that understands cooking meat on a fire like South Africans. Yeah. No one. <laughs> no one comes close. The Australians occasionally give it a give it a throw 
With a barbecue, yeah. Barbie. Barbie. Barbie's a doll. Okay. Yeah. And the barbecue is a whole lot of dolls in a row. <laughs> we bry. Okay? okay, we bry. That's the best one I've heard in a while. And no one when I when I do a good cookout or good braai in the evening for clients and you're sitting there at one of the camps on the, on, with a beautiful view or something and you put on a proper braai and you put the starters and you put some rashes on and you put some what you call oopsies little bacon roll stuff you put <laughs> yeah. that on you put some chicken wings on I've and that, that's, just, that's just your starter and your main you've got to have burros burros if, if you don't have burries you haven't you're not braai yeah yeah. But you put burro horse, you put some chops, you put a steak or two on the guys, just look at this and go, what are you doing? I mean, and you say, no, no, this is a braai. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, had one, I had one stunning story. <laughs> I was contracted in by one of the big tour operators to run camping tours. Very, yeah. very different operation. It was, a, it was a 60-seater coach. They'd had like a big trailer built to put behind this, yeah. this bus in the trailer Tents and gas bottles and nice plates, forks, two freezers. It looked, it looked, it looked like a horse box on steroids <laughs> pulled behind this bus. Yeah. I volunteered to take over because I thought, okay, if I do these camping tours, I'm going to have the whole season because nobody else wants to do camping tours because it's hard graft. Yeah. So I took over the camping tours. And you've now got 35, 40 people on a tour. Yeah. Camping tour. And... Probably three-quarters of the nights, we would have to do the catering. So we'd do a barbecue, we'd do a big stew or a big spaghetti bolognese, you know, the easy big group kind of cooking. Yeah, yeah. Then every once in a while, the group was left on their own to look out for themselves for that one evening. Yeah. And we were in Bergendal camp, and I remember this. <laughs> in Bergendal myself, I had a guy who was with me like a help a guy to help me with the cooking and the camp setting up and stuff. Yes. It's a little bit too much. And, and then, of course, the, the driver. Yeah. And the three of us did these did the tour after tour. So we became very, really, really good mates. In fact, I still talk to both of them. Yeah, yeah. And we're now talking, I think this is probably 15 years ago. And we're sitting there the one night in Bergendal. And Bergendal was the one night now where the clients need to go and do their own thing. So there's a restaurant. You can do takeaway. Guys can, you know, they get the, the, so you, everybody puts up their own tents. Brief them next morning. Yeah. Lacquer. So we start a little fire. We've gone and bought our stuff. So you buy a good steak and you buy some burries and you, you know, you get a little salad yeah. and stuff. So the three of us are sitting there with a couple of cold beers doing our braai. Come to the couple of the clients come along. Oh, what are you guys doing? Explain to them. This is South Africa braai. Oh, wow, that looks interesting. So I say to them, mm. well, go to the shop, get something mm. and come join us. The one guy kicks me sort of. What are you doing? We don't, you know, we don't want that. No, I said, there's no chance these guys are coming back. They're not going to come and bribe with us. Forget <laughs> it. It's not going to happen. I'm just being polite to the clients. It's all cool. <laughs> Off they go. 30 minutes later, they come back. <laughs> and they've now bought meat to put on the bribe. Oh, yeah. So we shift our <laughs> stuff up and say, no, you're welcome. Here we go. And to show you that people do not understand this, these were... I think they were Dutch. It was Dutch. They were either Dutch or Belgian. It was a Dutch. It was a Dutch tour. I was, I'm fluent yeah. in Dutch. I was guiding in Dutch. <laughs> and these guys sit down with a fire and they bring out their little packet of meat and they they bought a little punnet of sliced poloni. Poloni sandwich poloni. 
No. <laughs> Sandwich baloney. <laughs> no. And we all look at each other and we sort of trying to hide our laughing and our giggling. And they go and say, yeah, well, you're welcome to try this on the fire. You really are. So they haul out these slices of bologna and they try and cook this bologna. And it just disintegrated and it caught fire and it just, it just, it just vaporized. And we eventually, out of, out of pity, had to give them a couple of pieces of buris and a little chop or something. Because otherwise they had nothing to eat because the restaurant had already closed. But it just shows that people do not understand what a braai is. You don't buy bologna and put bologna on a braai. No. But... Yeah, the guys were on a budget. It was probably the cheapest packet of meat that was in the shop. <laughs> they came with bologna. Now, I challenge any of the listeners, if you can bring me a recipe to bribe bologna, I'll try it. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that just does not. No, that doesn't work. It just that doesn't, doesn't work. It sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought, buy some sausages. I mean, even if they come up with some pork bangers or something, you can still bry that, but you can't bry. Sliced, sliced sandwich meat. No. But yeah, like I said before, South Africans are the only guys that understand what oh, a bry is. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of other nations are coming close, but they haven't got it. No. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, so Chokwan for me is that, is, that, is that break, that break place. That south of Chokwan, you're now sort of in civilized Kruger. North of Chokwan, you're hitting the more essential Kruger that kind of makes sense yeah as soon as you get north of Chukwan it does tend to quieten down a little bit then north of Satara even better because that you know those big camps obviously is where the concentrations of people are you got three yeah. four five hundred people sitting in Satara they all leave in the morning there's a lot of cars in the area yeah but there's two interesting spots just north of Chukwan if you go up on the, um, let me just see if I can get the, get the name on this thing, the, the Lindanda, the Lindanda Road, which is a dirt road just outside of Chukwan. And that's the site made famous by Harry, uh, Harry Voliter. Okay. Now, Harry Voliter, and again, Harry Voliter is known for that story. He's also one of the early rangers in the park. He was... A contemporary of um, Stevenson Hamilton, the the first warden. Oh, yeah. And Harry Voliter was one of the guys who reported the first elephants returning to Kruger because elephants were extinct in the park in the in the, in the early 1900s. Yeah. And at that point, remember, there's no fences. It's open with Mozambique. The whole the whole yeah. lot. Elephants have been hunted out in Kruger, and he reported the first elephants moving back into Kruger from Mozambique. Yes. So he was a really, really active guy. And this, this guy's on horseback. And 1903, two lions attacked him. And I don't know what it is, but he got attacked by, by lions on two separate occasions, literally within five kilometers of each other oh, in no. two different years. So uh, he got <laughs> attacked in 1903 and he got attacked in 1904. So I don't know if he really irritated the lions. The lions had something against him in that area. But obviously that was his patrolling area north of that or just I wonder sort of northeast of Chokwan. <laughs> I wonder if it was the same lion. <laughs> it couldn't have been the same lion. Because there's a very, very famous story of him. He got taken. The lions actually took, took his horse. And the one time I think he, his horse actually managed to bolt and to run with yeah. him on board. The other time he fell off his horse. And the lion actually got him. And he was, the lion took him on the shoulder. Yeah. And bit, bit through the shoulder, through all the tendons and sinews and stuff in his shoulder. Ow. And was busy dragging him. 
he had his dog with him and the dog kept on sort of barking and harassing the lion etc etc and harry yeah harry volater he had a, a sheath knife on him and his knife was on the side where the lion had him by the by the arm oh, so he yeah. couldn't use that arm but he says he managed to reach across with his other hand grab his sheath knife and he says for whatever reason he says it was a really it wasn't a great knife but it was in a really lousy little pouch and the knife always fell out of this pouch yeah and he says for whatever reason the knife had not fallen out of the pouch when this lion took him off the horse wow and he managed to reach his knife and he stabbed the lion he managed to stab this thing and he got it in the chest yeah and managed to get the thing in the heart the lion obviously lets him go the lion stumbles off and eventually the lion dies but now harry's sitting there yeah. his horse is gone his dog is there he's only got one arm that's usable and the other lions are still around yeah so and they can smell blood and they can and they're all oh, part of this so yeah. he then eventually climbs up a tree and somehow with one arm he manages to climb up into a tree and cleverly enough he tied himself into the tree with his belt Okay. He undid the belt on his pants and he tied himself to the tree branch. Yeah. So he up in fall the tree, off. so he wouldn't fall out the tree because he knew yeah. he was going to pass out. Yeah. And eventually, I think it was his horse gets back to camp and everyone goes, "Oh, hang on, the horse is here, but Harry's not." So obviously, there's some kind of problem. Yeah. And they went and actually found him the next day, and luckily, he was still alive. And he recovered. He never quite got the back the use of that arm completely. Yeah. But he got he got operated on and it didn't turn septic because that's one of the problems with the lion lion bite is that the mouth is very very dirty, septic and yeah. dirty and you get all sorts of horrible horrible stuff into you. But he survived it, and they found the lion. They found the dead lion. They got his knife back. And, and they've actually got that lion skin on display now in Skukuza. They got the knife back as they well. They got the knife back. So if you go into the library in Skakuza. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> so it was uh, most probably still stuck in the lion. Well, I don't know. I, 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 that, that, that detail I don't know. But yeah, so the knife the knife is there. The, the skin of the lion is there. And on that um, Lindunda Road, there's two separate little memorials. The one is for the one attack where he managed to escape. And then the other yeah. one is a little memorial. The tree is no longer there, but the little tree stump of the tree that he climbed up oh, is, okay. is still there. But when you look at that area, it's all very stunted, tiny little trees. And you, luckily enough, he was in one that was high enough that the lions couldn't get him out. Yeah. But he also attributed his, um, his survival to the fact that his dog, the entire night, sat and harassed these lions. Yeah. So every time the lions would come close, the dog would come in and start barking and try and bite them and yeah. do their thing, et cetera, et cetera. So those, those are two funny little spots. Good boy. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> Good boy. Good boy. And I'm just, I'm just trying to remember because there's an interesting little spot in Skukuza. And Skukuza, uh, we're going a little bit out of area. Yeah, I was hoping to sort of stop around the Chokwam, but I see we've still got about 10 minutes or so to go. Yeah. Now, Skakuza is probably one of my least favorite camps. It's oh, yeah. a huge camp. It really yes. is an absolutely huge camp. I've always heard about it, but never been there. And um, if you drive into Skakuza 
It's a mini city. Everything that's a tour bus is stopped there. Oh, no. Um, everybody goes into Skakuza. It's the headquarters of the park. You look at a map of Skakuza, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entire city. It's right on the river. So if you book into Skakuza, the only place I would stay in Skakuza is the huts that are on the fence line or the guest house. The guest house is beautiful. I've stayed yeah. in that guest house. Or they've got two separate guest houses, one bigger one or one smaller one. They are absolutely spectacular because yeah. they're right on the edge of the camp. They're right down in the far corner. No one's allowed in there. And there, although you're part of Skakuza, you are completely separated Separate, from the camp. There's yeah. no noise. There's nothing. You've got a view out over the river. And those the guest houses are absolutely – the first time I booked into the guest house, I walked in. They're giving me some keys. And I go, okay, I've got key number so-and-so. And I walk in and I open that one door and I look and I go, but this is just a bedroom. And it took me like 10 minutes to realize that this entire place was mine for the night with oh. my group of people. Yeah. Four bedrooms, huge veranda overlooking the river. You've got an upstairs viewing deck, downstairs living room, dining room, kitchen. It is absolutely spectacular. Awesome. Every group of six or eight people, you really want to try and get into one of those guest houses in Skakuza. Yeah. If you get into the normal accommodation, like I say, there's one row of nice accommodation right on the river looking out over the river but again there's a couple of them are very very close to the restaurant but the rest of them is little circles and little rows of huts they're actually just in rows yeah and you're sitting in the you've got the typical crew accommodation but you've got no view your view is the toilet pipes of the row in front of you yeah and that to me is not kruger no that's just <laughs> not kruger that's that's sort of a forced stay over if you really really have to have to stay there yeah but kruger skakuza does have a f- couple of little hidden gems if you know about them and we're chatting about harry volata and his dog his dog was called bull bull, okay. bull. i wanted to ask you do you know what the dog's name <laughs> oh, was? the dog's name is bull. <laughs> okay there we go and in kruger very close to the library is a little spot called little hero's acre oh it's called the little hero's acre and it's the graveyard for rangers dogs Okay. Wow. Yes. I think you have mentioned it. I I, th- I mentioned that in in I've mentioned that back. in a in a in in a in a story before. I think no. it was the animal the animal series the number five yeah. or number six podcast. I think so. The, yeah. the animal statues. So I mentioned this place before. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And Harry's dog is buried there. Very close to the lion skin and stuff that he helped Harry save from the library. Ah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so the little hero's acre is there. Colonel Damas, Stevenson Hamilton's dog is there as well. A uh, guy by the name of Bless. And there's a, a nice little um, plaque there, the little hero's acre. Let me read it to you. Dogs have always been inextricably linked to the game ranger and his work. On numerous occasions, lives were saved by the tiniest warning of the dogs against danger. When working the bush with his or her master, they sometimes manage to divert a dangerous animal's attention in order to allow enough time for the master to take the necessary action to safeguard lives. Many of these pets died in their efforts to save lives while others died of old age. Not all the dogs that died in the Kruger National Park are buried here. Only the few for which headstones were erected. The close bond that existed between the animal and its master is evident in these headstones. Ah. So, kind of a moving little tribute there to man's best friend uh, in Skakuza. So, like I say, Skakuza, not my favorite camp. 
Guest houses are absolutely fantastic. A couple of the riverine units looking out over the Sabi River are absolutely beautiful. The restaurant's got a really nice deck overlooking overlooking the the Sabi River. It's one of the only places, believe it or not, that I've actually seen bush pig in Kruger. Oh. Um, okay. Bush pig, if you can imagine uh, a flat version of a warthog carry, covered in orange hair. It's <laughs> 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 a very strange looking animal. Um, and I was sitting on, the, on, one of the, on one of the benches waiting for clients to finish, had my binoculars out. I actually think I was on the phone to my father. And suddenly I, I see this animal on the other side of the river and I, think, and I go, bush pig. I've never, it's the one and only time I've ever seen bush pig in Kruger. It was right <laughs> over the river. Okay. From, <clears throat> from the restaurant in, yeah. in Skakuza. Inside the, the library, the library is also definitely worth a visit. And when you go into the library, there's normally a, an exhibition of sorts. There is, um, I've seen the, for example, the um, Wildlife Photography Awards of the Year. They put, put all the finalists' photographs up on display oh, yeah. there. And I mean, you stand in awe what some yes. of these photographers manage to capture. You can only dream of making photographs like yeah. that. There is a, it's called the Stevenson Hamilton Knowledge Resource Center and Museum. It's, it's definitely worth spending an hour or so in that museum. It's got the Harry Volleter panel up there with the lion skin and his, and his knife and stuff like that. Yeah. It's got a lot of the history of Kruger. It's a fantastic library as well. There's, there's books and resources there. So those little gems are to be seen in, in, in Skukuza. Yeah, but for the rest, uh, no, I don't think we need to discuss Kakuza much more than that. The other, only other really interesting thing to me in Kruger's, as you come in at the main reception area, is there's the Kruger National Park Founders Memorial. Oh yeah, and it's the the three guys who actually set up <coughs> set up the park. No, so you've got um, Pete Grobler there. You've got um, James Stevenson Hamilton. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think who the third guy is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they say shit happens. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I've gone blank. I've gone absolutely blank. <laughs> so you've got, you got Pete Grobler. You've got... Stevenson Hamilton, and you've got. I've gone completely blank. <laughs> That's horrible when that happens. And you know, you know it. You Paul do. Kruger. Hello, Paul Kruger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not going to history Kruger Park, Kruger Park. I don't know, no. And uh, of course, you've got the, the bust of, of, of Paul Kruger, who gave his name to the park. You've got Pete Krobler, and you've got Stevenson Hamilton. Okay. The three guys who actually were responsible, more or less, for what we're seeing today in Kruger. Must watch out, he's going to come and haunt you tonight. Ah, I hope not, he's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, I wouldn't know. <laughs> no, Paul, Paul Kruger, I don't think anyone could um, say that he was a handsome man. Hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got a bit of a disadvantage there. <laughs> right, and it looks like we're done. Time-wise, I think we're out again. One o'clock. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Oh, my word. But we had a lot of fun on this one. Um, I enjoyed the stories. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the lion one was quite interesting. That was quite interesting. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, that was once again awesome. And uh, yeah, next week we will be back with uh, some more. Yeah, I think uh, I think next week we'll finish off that southern side of the park with the different yeah. camps and stuff and the bits and pieces there. Then yes. we'll go back to some road tripping stuff again for a couple of weeks. And then again, Kruger and the other national parks we've got, guys. It is such they are such gems that we have in this country for tourism and wildlife, and it's it's. Yeah. You, you've got to go there to understand what we've actually got there. It's absolutely incredible. Yes. Okay, cool. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And, uh, yeah, next week, same time, same place, here on Radio Eco Health on the Road Trip Show with me and Diedrich from Road Trip SA. Go check out the Road Trip SA app and uh, be sure to download yourself a copy. And, yeah, let's go to some music and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, my. It's calling me.